0: We all have a story to tell. The longer our lives, the richer our stories. When I look at you, I see a woman of strength, integrity, character. A woman who has seen hardships, struggles, pain, and loss. A woman who has compassion, love, courage, and power. A woman who has succeeded, failed, and learned. A woman who will continue to persevere and thrive. When I look at you, I see a woman who is wise, not withered. Welcome to the Wise Not Withered Podcast. I'm your host, Juliana. I am primarily a musician. I compose, play piano, and sing and dance with children for a living, but I've always had a passion for writing and for video games. The storytelling potential in games these days is essentially limitless, and so are the ages of the protagonists. You can read more about the Why Is Not Withered global collaborative project, phase two, on my website, whyisnotwithered.com. The goal of Why Is Not Withered as a whole, in all of its phases, is to expand representation of middle-aged and elderly women in a society that currently values feminine youth over wisdom here in phase one the podcast season one you'll hear inspiring life stories of various wise women that i personally know we talk about upbringing careers romantic relationships challenges successes and lessons learned after each interview I'll take a bit of time to reflect on what I learned from each woman and how her story relates to my own life. This week's interviewee is Zoe Kors. She is a simply magical woman, a spiritual gangster, to quote her hashtags on Instagram. She is someone who I met at a women's retreat a couple of years ago. She and quite a few other people on this season one podcast I met at that retreat. Um, I know her primarily as a sex coach. And she works with women to help us find and embrace our wildly expressed selves. Yay! All right. Thank you for doing this. I'm so excited to talk to you. I know. I know. (laughs) All right. Um, Can we get right into it?
1: Yeah, sure.
0: Cool. Um, So I'm interviewing the amazing Zoe Kors. (laughs) So, Zoe, how old are you?
1: I am 54 years old.
0: 54, okay. Do you have any nicknames?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Depends who's calling me um, at the time, but um, my fiancé calls me Peaches, and uh, my dad used to call me Professor. That goes back to when I was a little kid wearing glasses (laughs) from the age of, I think, three um, so yeah, I have a bunch of nicknames.
0: Okay. Fiance, congratulations. Yeah,
1: thank you. Wow.
0: Is that, um, did that just happen?
1: Um, it actually happened in September.
0: Okay. Wow. Yeah. How exciting.
1: Yeah, I've been single, very intentionally single for the last 10 years. Right. And I honestly didn't necessarily expect to um partner with anybody again, let alone get married. Yeah. So, <laughs> he's a special guy.
0: Wow. Yeah, well, we'll definitely get into that. Um okay. so what is or was your relationship with your mother like?
1: Um my relationship with my mother was extremely close when um when I was a kid and um she was extremely loving and very devoted. And um, and that pretty much stayed. I think, you know, we've had um, sort of ups and downs as I individuated from her, which was really mm-hmm. um, difficult and delayed, um, I think, probably for both of us. Um, but we've really remained close and done a lot of work individually and together on our relationship. Oh, OK. Yeah.
0: Um, so what what kind of person is she?
1: My mom. Yes. Um, my mom is um, a tiny little woman. She's under five feet tall. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she's extremely. Um, it's a. She's a funny combination of incredibly generous and warm and loving and a total introvert. Oh. So as she's gotten older, she's eighty-seven right now, and as she's gotten older. She has um, become more and more social, but her sort of, um, I'd I'd say her home base is sort of quiet and introverted and Mm. um, spending time around people that she knows and who know her intimately. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay, and in what ways are you similar to her?
1: Oh, it's funny. I've spent the last number of decades really embracing the parts of me that are different from her. So, <laughs> um, we're both extremely passionate about politics and um, society. We champion the underdog. Um, everybody matters. Um, I think uh, we both care very much that the people who are around us feel seen and heard yeah. and appreciated.
0: Right. And in what ways are you different
1: <laughs> um, I it took me a long time to to sort of figure this out, but I think it's very high on my mother's priority list that people like her mm. and um, and I think she she is somebody who doesn't like to make waves and doesn't like to upset people mm-hmm. um, and for me, it took me a long time to really understand that I am a disruptor, that I, I sort of, not that I like people not to like me, <laughs> but I do, I do like to um, make an impact, a beneficial impact, and that mm. often causes discomfort in right, people, right. and so that's something that I think makes my mother uncomfortable, that I am perfectly fine, sort of making other people uncomfortable to a good end. You yeah, know, I'm yeah. a truth teller. Right,
0: right. Yeah. Okay, and where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in suburban New York City. So um, if, you, if you're at all familiar with um, New York City and Manhattan, you go to the north end of Manhattan, cross the George Washington Bridge into New Jersey, Portly, New Jersey, and then you drive 13 miles north <laughs> right up the Hudson <laughs> You'll end up back in New York State, but um, yeah, I grew up in Rockland County, right on the Hudson River. It's gorgeous.
0: Okay, and what, uh, what places have you lived throughout your life?
1: Um, so I, I lived in Rockland, and then I lived in, uh, I went to college in Philadelphia, so I spent some years in Philadelphia, and then uh, back up to Nyack, um, and in and around New York City, um, up until 1991 when I uh, packed up with my then husband and moved to Los Angeles.
0: Okay, and you've been there ever since? Yep okay excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what what is your job? How would you describe what you do?
1: Um, I, I do several different things but I would say I am a sex coach first and foremost a mm-hmm. sex coach and a thought leader on, women's sexuality. Um, I also am a writer and an editor, so Uh I I sort of, that folds into, I mean, at my best, I'm writing about those topics, but I also write a lot about um, yoga and meditation and all things consciousness, and then I do a lot of blogging um, covering topics of um, wellness and also sort of popular culture.
0: Okay. And yeah, how did you get into the work that you do? I guess like especially the the sex coaching?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I started to I have a long career in um, branding and marketing and um, art direction and and sort of copywriting and messaging. Mm -hmm. And um, and I felt like I was burnt out, and I was tired. I, I always used to say I was tired of selling $20 martinis to, um, you know, rich white people. <laughs> and I decided um, to, to what was really calling me. I, I kind of tuned in and listened, and um, I really wanted to feel like I felt on my yoga mat essentially and I what I ended up doing was getting a a certification in life coaching and as I was coaching it it just felt like I could speak to sexuality my clients sexuality in a way that nobody had spoken to them about before Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been comfortable with my own sexuality Um, I was getting involved on my own spiritual path um, in Tantra and um, Mm -hmm. which is sort of uh, an Indian, Eastern Indian um, and Tibetan philosophy um, and spiritual path. And that involves sort of the intersection of sexuality and spirituality. And so I was able to kind of bring that to my coaching and it got so um, powerful that it basically, I mean, it was undeniable anymore that I was sort of becoming a sex coach. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up where I am now.
0: Yeah, that, that's so interesting. Did you have any any mentors um, who had like, kind of set an example or were you kind of a trailblazer for that?
1: No, I, de- I mean, there are definitely people in the world who are very accomplished you know, in my sort of field, um, but I I did not have a, a mentor. My mentors are sort of wide and varied, you know, mm. and I I can point to um, you know various sort of spiritual Roshi Joan Halifax and um, and all the sort of American Buddhists Jack Jack Cornfield and their teachings. I I often say that my you know my first guru is Alan Watts. So there's sort of a a Zen aspect of um, you know, what I'm attracted to and what informs how I show up. Mm. Um, but then also people like Milton Glazer who designed the, I love New York logo. He's a legendary um, designer. He also founded Pushpin studios and New York magazine. Um, no, sorry. Yeah. New York magazine. And um, you know, I sort of, Pull from many different places in, in terms of mentorship and role models.
0: Okay. All right. So talk about the romantic relationships you've had throughout your life. What, <laughs> what kind of people have you loved and what did you learn from each of those people?
1: How many people have I loved? Um, wow. Well, my definition of love is maybe a little different than, you know, I fell in love with this person and then married him and then rode off into the sunset. <laughs> um, I love a lot of people, not all of whom I've been in relationship with. Right. Um, I've had many, many lovers, um, probably over a hundred. Um, and, and, um, I, you know i love every one of them for various reasons
0: mm-hmm.
1: um in terms of relationships i lost my virginity when i was 15 um to a really uh, you know a wonderful well he was a boy at the time mm-hmm. and very loving but we were in summer camp and uh we were in love it was the first time i was in love and made the sort of executive decision as the CEO of my life that (laughs) I wanted that experience to be combined with losing my virginity, even though I knew that the chances of this relationship lasting, um, our long distance relationship were were slim. So, Mm. um, so that was that. And, interestingly enough I'm still very close he remains one of my closest friends oh, We wow. for a while but thanks to social media reunited um, mm. about a decade ago and um, he's got a fabulous wife who I, I love at least as much as I love him mm-hmm. and they've got a great daughter who happens to be my daughter's age and um, so that's, that's kind of a, a really special relationship mm-hmm. um, and And then from there, um, I don't know, I I think I I sort of had a a smattering of of boyfriends and relationships and spent some time, you know, solo, flying solo in my um, teenage years and then got married when I was 25 and was married for, uh, we were together for 10 years. I met him when I was 22. We had a daughter And ended up splitting up. And then I was single for a year and spent 10 years with someone else. Um, And we had a a son together and then um, spent 10 years totally, um, very intentionally solo after Mm -hmm. that. um, Raising kids and pursuing a career and a spiritual path and just loving Being with myself, Mm -hmm. foremost.
0: Okay. Um. So, why why did each of those other relationships fall apart? I guess the the um, fathers of your children.
1: (laughs) Um. Well, if I had to say in in like in the shell of a nut, my (laughs) um, my husband. uh, I wasn't married actually to my like legally married to my son's father, but I kind of consider him, um, I talk about him as if he was a, a, a husband because mm-hmm. we were together for so long and built houses and, um, really did things that, you know, sort of married people do, mm-hmm. yeah. um, like have kids and, <laughs> and not that you have to be, but it was sort of very much looked from the outside like a marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, that my my first husband um i i married my mother essentially hmm. um i repeated the dynamic in my relationship with my mother with my partner and hmm. um and it wasn't healthy it was codependent it was enmeshed um and i realized when i had my daughter i i joke you know often that she Flipped the light switch on, on her way out. Mm. And, um, I was able to see how incredibly unsupported I felt mm. and that I felt like I had another child in my marriage, you know, in my husband. So, oh my. um, we also remain good friends. We're like brother and sister. And I think that's a lot of why we're not married uh, anymore because our, our dynamic is much more of like a brother and sister. And so, um, yeah, I needed to kind of walk away from that and, uh, be on my own for a little bit and Mm -hmm. raise my daughter. And, um, and then my son's father, um, You know, I think in many ways, he might have been my rebound. He kind of was everything that was the, you know, the opposite (laughs) of my experience. And I just sort of, um, you know, I don't know. It was a situation that I think um, I hadn't really given enough time to myself to settle in and find myself. Hmm. Uh, and sort of what I what I wanted. He was different than anything I'd ever been with. Um, we had a lot of fun together, but in terms of like uh, my own emotional maturity, um, I wasn't really there yet to be able mm-hmm. to make a choice for myself that was nourishing and healthy. I hadn't really experienced what that was like. Okay.
0: So, and how about the relationship you're in now? How would you... Uh describe
1: but, it <laughs> yeah um I I you know it's hard to describe without sounding you know like I'm just spewing superlatives but uh, <laughs> but I really I found uh I found my match um I feel like I've done you know I've spent 10 years really learning about myself and learning about the universe and learning about you know um relationship and um and this guy showed up and is just he's just fabulous he gives me the space that I need he it's all about love and nurturing and respect um he spent 10 years with a zen master so he is um he's sort of very rooted in equanimity and um Spaciousness and accepting what is, and hmm. there's a simplicity to him and what he brings to the relationship that's really um, a beautiful counterbalance to my sort of um, expressive New York Jew sort of ethos.
0: <laughs> um, where did you meet him?
1: Um, I met him two years ago. Just about two years ago, right around Christmas, and um, yeah, it was it was great. I I was uh, I was slow to you know sort of sink into the relationship. It took me a good six months to really commit yeah. to. <laughs> the relationship even though it was immediately fabulous I just I wasn't really maybe it was so fabulous that I I could feel that I I need to sort of let go to my you know my my solo way of living a little bit so
0: Mm. yeah okay So what was your first experience with death and grief?
1: Uh, this is fresh. <laughs> I mean, my very first experience that I remember was my great-grandmother dying when mm. I was about six, I believe. Okay. Um, but the memories are vague, and I certainly felt my parents' grief. They loved my, my great-grandmother, mm. Minna. Um, but... It wasn't as much a personal loss. Um, Mm. I stepped on my parakeet when I was about eight, and it was awful. I had these sandals on, and um, we had a particular parakeet, Barney, who liked to walk around on the floor, and my father, who was a school teacher, he was the high school art teacher, Um, in our public school system, and he, so he was home early, and he was home, and I was rushing around, we were rushing around, getting ready for me to go to ballet, and, um, and I stepped on, on Barney, and it broke his back, and he was in the middle of the kitchen floor squawking, and I was crying in my father's arms, and um, really difficult. Needless to say, I didn't go, to um I didn't go to ballet that day yeah. my father took me for an ice cream instead and we threw out the sandals that I was wearing because there were feathers and bird guts oh stuck wow in them. so that was hard and mm-hmm. then and uh very recently just uh about uh two months ago my father died
0: right.
1: um, so he was 91 mm-hmm. almost 91 he's a week shy of his 91st birthday right. and um, and if it's possible to have a beautiful death, he had one. Yeah. So he lived close by and I was able to, um, spend many, many months. I mean, you know, it, in the last several years of his life, his health was declining for sure. But then Mm -hmm. especially in the last few months, we had many conversations about death and dying and, um, you know, what he needed to complete before he passed and, and then five weeks in hospice in a really wonderful facility in Southern California called the Caring House. Hmm. Um, and so I spent a lot of time with him every day um, having long conversations. And it was lovely. I was there when he took his last breaths.
0: <sighs> wow. Yeah. And was it mostly just you alone with him? Or were there lots of visitors? Or,
1: um, Well there weren't a lot of visitors. There were, he, there were, there was a caregiver 24 seven. There was like Mm -hmm. sort of a team of uh, five or six caregivers who became like our family, really amazing people. Um, and there were some volunteers. So there were those kinds of of visitors and people there. Um, and my mom is close by my sister lives all the way on the other side of the country. Mm. And although we had her on the phone and, and, um, you know, spoke with her that way. Um, She wasn't there in person. My father's younger brother, who he hadn't seen in many, many years, um, flew out and spent some time, spent a few days. But really, for the most part, I became my father's um, confidant. And he could speak to me about, um, you know, the sort of like emotional, spiritual aspects of death in a way that he wasn't able to, or, you know, speak to my mother, for instance, they had a different relationship but it was extremely loving, but it wasn't so much, um, philosophical. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I read to him and, uh, I spent a lot of time with him. Yeah. It was lovely. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah. What, what kinds of lessons about life or death did you learn from him that you could teach to others?
1: Um, he, um, he, a lot of wisdom poured out of him at the end. And I felt like I was really witnessing him letting go of just about everything, all of yeah. his sort of attachments, um, as he lay there, it just all sort of fell away, you know, things that he was worried about in the past, he no longer worried about, mm-hmm. um, it was, it was, Really great um, one of the things that he he said when I showed up um, one day was that uh, um, that he had been lying there and thinking about all the cliches about life and death and and death and dying and loss and grieving and he said what he's realized is that it's not at all about loss and grieving. It's actually about, um, it's actually about gaining. It's about gaining the love, like the dying process is about gaining the love that was always there, even though you didn't even realize it. So um, he also, he said to me one day, shortly after we had to move him into hospice, which was a clear indication that he was not going to get better. This was where mm-hmm. he was actually going to die. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, I said, how are you? How are you doing here? And he said, I've, I've realized that, um, you know, it doesn't really matter where I am physically. What really matters is where I am spiritually.
0: Hmm.
1: And I thought, yeah, that's right. <sighs> All right. So there are a lot of, a lot of you know deep moments (laughs) yeah
0: yeah (laughs) wow that's that's so powerful how interesting um so what is one of the biggest challenges that you've overcome either a specific situation or simply over the course of your lifetime
1: I, I would say what immediately comes to mind is the specific situation of having been diagnosed with cancer when I was 20 in college.
0: Oh, right, right.
1: Um, I went to the University of Pennsylvania um, in Philadelphia. I was studying art history, and in the beginning of my junior year, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which is Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's a... It's a kind of lymphoma, which is a malignancy of the lymph system. Um, it generally does not spread to other parts of the body, um, but it, it will kill you if it goes untreated. So they caught it fairly early, um, but it, it definitely changed my life. You know, a lot of people say it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't, you know, I certainly don't know that I would make that statement at this point in my life, a lot of really wonderful things have happened to me like having my children, which really outranks having had cancer. <laughs> but it definitely shifted my perspective of life and it it sort of like it gave me one of those moments of, you know, up until that point, I was twenty years old. It was it's like, you know, I mean it's the epitome of that sort of self centeredness. <laughs> um And I recognize that now because my daughter's 21 and she's just coming out of that. But Mm -hmm. like, interesting to be able to see where she was developmentally when I had been facing cancer at that age. And, um, you know, I had been worried about the fact that I was failing French and am I going to drop it? Should I drop it or should I try to pull my grade up? And, um, you know, and, and, and a number of different things, an issue with my neighbor in my dorm, and, you know, and then once you hear, you know, you have cancer, and we don't know how bad it is yet, and, you know, you may die, Um and you may suffer greatly along the way, you know, it's like all of a sudden, for a 20-year-old, that's like a, a, an amazing lesson in non-attachment right. and perspective. Yeah, yeah. So that definitely stayed with me, Um, and I'm happy to say that I am, you know, I've been cancer-free since 1985, since I was, you know, almost 21.
0: Yeah, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so getting a little lighter, what hobbies do you have?
1: (laughs) Ask ask again, I missed that. Uh, What
0: what hobbies do you have?
1: Uh, Um. Hobbies? I don't know that I have any hobbies, to be really honest with you. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm always working. I yeah. love to read, and I love to watch documentaries, and I okay. love to hike. Yeah. So. Yeah, that
0: yeah. counts. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs>
0: All right. Um, so you've talked about your children. What what kinds of things have you learned from them?
1: Oh, boy. I can write books and books and books. Yeah. <laughs> Um, my daughter is uh an amazing human being. She is nothing like me. Um mm-hmm. and that in itself I, I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of her, especially as she gets older, that um that I feel a real kinship with. Um she's a total badass and she's a she's also a truth teller and um but she she moves through the world very differently and she processes very differently and Um, and it was really, it was, there was a point at which somebody very wise, an advisor of mine said to me when she was about eight, you know, like, listen, here's the thing. You don't have to teach her everything, you know, you don't have to teach her how to be you in the world. She has her own way in the world and what what your job is is to hold space for her unfolding and for her coming into herself and finding her own coping mechanisms and her own perspective on the world. And you're off the hook. And, and I like, I felt that way. I felt like I'm off the hook for teaching her how to be me when she's so different from me. It was just a real, um, a real enlightening moment. Um, so, there's that. Um, I definitely learned how to hold space for someone who is extremely different from me temperamentally. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and my son is a trip all his own. I'm learning <laughs> all about boys, and that means I'm learning all about men. Um, I don't have any brothers. Um, I didn't grow up around, around boys. I, I don't uh, know a whole lot about about boys, really, and it's been a total adventure, and I absolutely love it.
0: So. <laughs> cool. Um, so you've you've accomplished a lot of things. What would you consider to be your greatest success in life so far?
1: Um. Wow. I don't know. It's hard to uh, <laughs> to rank things. Right. I, I, right. I think- I think the first thing that really comes to mind Mm -hmm. is um, there are two things. The first thing that really comes to mind is like, you know, my kids, Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that I have two really wonderful, loving, compassionate, responsible members of society um, (laughs) who are, you know, who care about other people and, uh, and really show up in the world courageously. Like, that's um, that I got to participate in that and that I didn't screw that up <laughs> <laughs> is a big accomplishment. Um, but the other thing I think that you know my like personal accomplishment, um, I would say is is learning how to be with myself hmm. and learning how to sort of master my own, um, sort of self-regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that I always say that there's like um, there's sort of the micro and the macro, or the Buddhists say the absolute reality and the relative reality, mm-hmm. and and to sort of walk that um, the, the through life, holding both of those perspectives in a way that allows me to be to feel complete and whole in myself is. You know, I think that's kind of what we all strive for on right. some level or another. Right. And I feel like I'm at a point at fifty four where um I'm pretty in love with myself and my life. And that feels like an accomplishment. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. How about your greatest failure? But what did you learn from it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: usually it, not that I'm afraid of saying I failed or, you know, I could have done that better. Or mm-hmm. That was a flop, but I've, I've really internalized so much of the gifts of all the pieces of my life that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what I would even label a failure at this point. Right. Okay. Uh, you could talk about, you know, for instance, my two 10 year relationships with my, you know, the fathers of my two children Um you know, those were, I'm, I'm using air quotes that you mm-hmm. can't see right now, but those were <laughs> failed marriages. Right. And, um, you know, and they resulted in these amazing children who are, you know, really well adjusted, grounded kids. Mm-hmm. I think what I learned more than anything is that I had in those two marriages, at the end of them, I could see that I had a certain amount of, uh, incompleteness, hmm. uh, that, that allowed me to show up in that relationship, um, not taking care of myself yeah. and, you know, and therefore not taking care of the relationship because we can only meet each other to the extent that we can meet ourselves.
0: Right, and, right.
1: and that's, you know, not to, I could sit here and, you know, point out where my, you know, my two partners in those two relationships did the same I mean it's I'm not taking all of the the blame or placing all of the the responsibility on me but um you know but to the extent that we use our relationships as a venue for our own self-work and Mm -hmm. what could I learn from that you know other than my partner was you know a dick (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, you know, I could learn where, where, I, how I showed up and why, and what result that, that gave, and how I contributed to the devolution of the partnership.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that's a
1: very wise perspective.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, was there a defining moment in your life when you felt you became an adult? Or, like, a realization, like, oh, wow, I'm an adult, or was it more of a gradual transition? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, there was, a, there was a singular moment when oh, okay. I was married. Um, sorry, my, you know, my first marriage, we bought our first house. And we actually bought a stove, and I was ridiculously excited about it. And I thought to myself, if I am happy about spending my money on a, on a major appliance, <laughs> I'm a grown-up. Yeah. i have a wife. This is it. <laughs>
0: That's great. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, okay, so this question... Okay, this this seems kind of weird talking to you about this, but in what ways do you believe you've had the most impact on people? I say uh, it's kind of weird just because I feel like you've had a big impact in so many different ways.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you. And I'd love to hear more about that, about your perspective <laughs> on that. Um, I I mean, I think conceptually, I would say that the biggest impact that I've had on other people are the the, you know, thousands of women mm. who I've been able to connect with either in some of my workshops or coaching or, uh, you know, podcasts or um, social media um, or, or, you know, through my articles and various publications. Uh, um, but, but really I think the, the work that I do and the piece that I deliver that allows women to feel okay to hmm. be themselves like there's hmm. nothing wrong with them there's nothing broken there's nothing missing they're just um, you know they're just digging around trying to find who they truly are and find their way home to themselves Yeah. Um, I think you know we live in a, a society where there's a lot of competition there's a lot of judgment there's a lot of hmm. messaging that we're as, as women in particular that we're um, you know, that we're not enough, that we're not thin enough, that we're not pretty enough, that we're not sexy enough, that we're not smart enough, that we're, you know, we're not enough. We're too much. We're too emotional. Um, You know, we don't smell right. We don't look right. We don't sound right. We don't feel right. Um, And just to sort of like be a voice in the world um that champions women for how they really really are i think that probably has had a i hear all the time uh the feedback that that's had a really positive effect
0: yeah yeah i i completely agree with that Um, so is there anything you've always wanted to talk about, but no one has ever asked?
1: <laughs> um, I feel like I've talked about everything there possibly is <laughs> to talk about. Um, I'm pretty sure that I'm, I'm, you know, pretty much in menopause at this point. Mm-hmm. I, my last period was in March. So the doctors all tell me that they won't actually, um, declare me menopausal until i've gone a solid year without a period okay um so there's that going on and i feel like um i my friends and i are extremely open with each other and i find that i don't i haven't had that conversation and i'm not having that conversation with my 50 year old women friends so i find that really interesting it's almost um you know that piece of it is it carries a lot of shame. I think hmm. women. Um, there's a perception that when you reach menopause, you get dried up. And um, certainly, I feel my body changing. Um, you know, I've, I'm carrying around an extra 15 pounds that um, you know I used to like not just not eat for a week and and drop five pounds easily, and that's not happening anymore. So, um, yeah, there's there's that and. I guess I just want to say that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to face it and I'm feeling plenty juicy at 54. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, yeah.
0: So, um, what piece of advice would you share with younger women that you wish you had known when you were younger? If, if you could even just pick one. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 I I think that first and foremost, what I, what I would want to say is that um, if you're still enough and quiet enough, you can hear the universe singing you a love song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, much easier than you think to connect to that voice inside of yourself. Mm. It seems elusive and it seems mysterious and it seems like, um, you might need some sort of a psychic or a medium or, um, a tarot card reader or, you know, somebody to kind of help translate. But really truly, if you just sit still and be quiet and focus on your breathing it will bring you um, right in alignment and an earshot of your intuition, your higher self, and a very, very wise part of yourself um, that you can trust.
0: Awesome. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely want to extract that and have it like a little inspirational quote. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you you mentioned you're um, super busy right now. What t- what kinds of things are you are you working on right now?
1: Mm, thanks for asking. Um, I am right now in the middle of my second twelve um, week program, my oh, second session. Right. Yeah, really sexy you. Um, which is something that you know very well, mm-hmm. um, and so that's exciting. I've got a great bunch of women, and I'm doing. I'll be launching a, a spring session that starts in March. Um, I'm also, <coughs> I also have a new workshop called Essential Oils for Sex, and okay. you can go to essential oils for and you'll um, you'll see this workshop, and um, and that's super exciting. Um, I love. I'm partnering with a woman named Ashley Diana and Alex King, and um, and I'm super in love with what they're doing. And so that's a nice collaboration. Um, and, uh, I've got a lot of other stuff going on private coaching and, um, you I'm always, I always like to mention my, uh, free service called daily notes from your pussy <laughs> you and go to pussynotes.com com and, um, you get a daily note in the of like wisdom, you know, daily wisdom and guidance, and it's all in the voice of your um, your vagina.
0: It's so but, good. I I have screenshotted probably over a dozen of those by now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really. It's one of the one of my favorite things that I that I offer. It's just such a simple little thing, and it really arose from um, you know I sort of sat in an inquiry and meditated on how I could contribute to women having a much closer relationship with their bodies, you know, with their vaginas, and um, because we, we, you know, we've sort of been conditioned culturally to um, think of our vaginas as something, you know, separate from ourselves, and um, I, I found that in my coaching and in my workshops, it was really such a pain point this sort of disconnection with this most amazing, beautiful, sacred part of our bodies. Really, if you ask me, the most sacred body part in the entire human race. This is where, you know, life springs forth from. Um, And so, yeah, so that's where Daily Notes came about. And, um, yeah, teaching at festivals, teaching workshops all mostly in the Los Angeles area
0: for now. Yeah. All right. Well, those are all the questions I have. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Is
0: is there anything else you want to add?
1: (laughs) Um, I would love to ask you, um, and your audience probably already knows this, but you probably can't say it enough. I would just love for you to tell me in a couple of sentences, um, what your podcast is about and what the what the genesis and the inspiration is
0: yeah um so i actually i wrote an article about it let me let me get the articles so i don't forget anything <laughs> so um yeah over over a year ago i was watching my boyfriend play this adventurous video game and i noticed that the protagonist was a middle-aged man and I thought that was a really interesting um, decision that the developers made about the the age of him. But wow. then I started thinking, like, how many middle-aged or even elderly women have I seen as protagonists in video games? And, you know, how many middle-aged women do we see still adventuring and doing all these great things that men are shown doing? And as I started researching, I, I was looking up all these Um, Female protagonists in video games, and talking with everyone that I knew, and I started getting really angry thinking about all the how there's not really any representation of middle-aged or elderly women in video games. Um, and so I started writing this this angry letter, like addressing video game companies as a whole, kind of attacking them, and you know, saying oh, all all kinds of all kinds of stuff about how. You know, um, there's just not representation. But then once I was done with the letter, I kind of thought, okay, this, this angry letter isn't going to spark the kind of change that I want to see. So I'm not sure when exactly it started, but I was thinking how cool would it be instead of writing just an angry letter if I could send an entire package to... Um, video game companies inviting them to diversify the ages of their female protagonists but Uh instead of just with words um, show them with pictures and stories and music what was possible and the the more I thought about it the more it just kind of became this huge thing in my head um and so I've I've actually started the recruiting process um of getting all these all these artists um writers and illustrators from all over the world to collaborate with me on this big project that well the the end goal will be to have um you know this big package to send to the companies but i realized that the while that's the tangible end goal um the real underlying goal for me is to expand my world view and interact with and create amazing art with creative women from all over the world so, if the package we send to the companies goes completely ignored, like that's really fine with me because that's not that's not the main point that is technically you know the end goal but it's it's really the it's really about the journey <laughs> and so um I would say my definition of success for this project would be to simply have completed it because I do want to eventually recruit a hundred people, which sounds insane and it feels overwhelming, but it also feels like something I I can do. Mm -hmm. And I want to just get to know women from other cultures outside of my own and collaborate with them on something outside of ourselves and just have something that I can look back on and be really proud of everything I learned and all the connections that I made. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. It's like really taking over my life. now.
1: (laughs) I'm really, um, so, uh, so honored to be a part of this. I think it's fabulous. I really I celebrate you and what you're up to.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Last year, I took a 12-week course called Holy Sexy You, which was created and facilitated by Zoe Kors herself. It was an absolutely life-changing experience. She really helped me transform the ways that I view myself, my body, my emotions, my upbringing, my relationships, past and present, romantic and platonic, and how I show up in the world for other people as well as myself. It was actually after that program that I found the courage to start the Wise Not Withered movement after witnessing what it can be like when women come together, sharing and being vulnerable and honest about our experiences Zoe inspires me on a regular basis with her inspirational quotes on Instagram and with her openness about her own personal struggles. Check out her website, ZoeCors.com. That's Z-O-E-K-O-R-S.com, and get absorbed for hours in everything that this amazing woman has to offer. Episode will be the first half of the last episode of season one of the Wise Not Withered Podcast. I honestly haven't figured out yet what exactly season two will look like, so thank you for your patience as I figure all of this out. Thanks for listening to the Why Is Not Withered Podcast. If you found this episode particularly interesting or inspiring, please share, rate, and subscribe. Check out WiseNotwithered.com for interview transcriptions and more. Join the Wise Not Withered movement by sharing your own story or by interviewing a wise woman in your life and sharing through your favorite social media platform. Use the hashtag WiseNotWithered. Thanks again!